Definitely every day is different. You know, today I could be, you know, as a barista making coffees. Tomorrow night I could be in the kitchen cooking and, you know, the day after I'd be washing dishes. I'm a man that just literally does anything and everything that, that's possible. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. When growing up, having dreams of an amazing future are commonplace. As we grow, we realize all roads to success have their challenges and nothing is ever as it seems. There are many that dream of owning their own hospitality venue. Does the dream match the reality? Billy Petropoulos is the owner of Billy's Table and Billy's Lane. Billy, how are you? Oh, I'm pretty fantastic today, Huck. How are you? I'm good. It's good to have you on the show. You've uh, got a lot of venues. You're a pretty busy guy. And uh, what's life like at the moment? Uh, it's got its ups and downs. Um, it's definitely come at a better place now. Um, I think since February, things have picked up quite well. Uh, had its challenges like everyone in the last couple of years. But, you know, things are looking pretty positive, pretty good. Tell us a little bit about um, Billy's Table and Billy's Lane. Uh, well, Billy's Table is uh, based in Croydon. Um, it's about 10 minutes from the city, about 10 minutes uh, west to the beach, about 40 minutes um, north to the Barossa and about 40 minutes based uh, close to south to the McLaren Vale. So it's sort of in the middle of the hub. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty quirky street. It's based in Queen Street. And uh, Billy's Table, it's, it's a wood-fired restaurant, uh, modern Australian. So it's a yeah, pretty, pretty funky little place. <laughs> and you've also got Billy's Lane and, and multiple venues. How, how does that differ to Billy's Table? Uh, Billy's Lane is is based on a concept with uh, three or four multiple locations. So it, it, um, it would be, I'd have like a, a group um, uh, where there'd be about three or four shops. So I could have bowl buns, uh, hot pots, dumplings, um, sweet cake shops, uh, burger shops. So they're sort of uh, multiple outlets uh, based in like shopping centres or uh, uh, wherever they may be situated. Oh, I want to explore the the variety that you have in that that those offerings in, in a little while. Uh, tell us tell us about when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family? Um, I didn't know how special I had it actually when I was when I was a kid. Mum, she was a, she's a beautiful cook. Um, you know, you're meat and three veg, but all traditional Greek cooking, um, as being from a Greek background, Greek heritage. Um, Dad constantly in the garden. He grew his own olives, um, beehives, grapes for wines, fruit and veggies, herbs. You name it, we had it. Um, very rarely they went to the shops. It was just uh, everything was was grown in the backyard, and still to this day. Dad uh, is constantly, uh, you know, right now as we, actually as we speak, he's, he's picking olives. He was, uh, uh, he was definitely calling me before to to make sure I get there to help him out. But um, yeah, so so this it was it was a beautiful uh, upbringing. Um, I was always in the kitchen helping Mum bake. She was constantly making a guludia, which are like your Greek biscuits. Um, we were making uh, anything that was sort of just. Again, just traditional. Um, Dad always uh, tried to help me in the garden. I, I didn't have a really a green thumb back then, um, but he certainly 
did inspire me to what I have now. Um, he, 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 if he saw me sitting on the couch uh, watching TV, that was just uh, unheard of. So he would give me some top, uh, some beans to like top and tail. Uh, Mum would give me potatoes to peel. Um, you know, we would uh, slit the olives to, to cure them. So there was constantly uh, food around my surroundings. Uh, that was that was always. Uh, it's just I didn't really know it until I had it. I guess, yeah. Tell us about some of the feasts that you have. What, what was the sort of typical food that you were eating in your family when you were young? Dad loves charcoal. I think, like I guess, any sort of uh, Greek heritage uh, does. Uh, so they, we would always have charcoal cooking. Um, we have a wood oven in the backyard at Mum Dad's house. So he would always throw in. Uh, a tray bake of a lamb shoulder or, or some roast potatoes and mum would always roast a chicken and uh, family dinners were extremely important to us uh, again you just wouldn't really realize it back then you just thought you know you're just having a bit of a feed with your family but mum is very strong in bringing the family together and the way they you know she brought it together was by food so we would eat um, anything she felt like cooking and I guess back then you'd complain, ah, well, you know, this chicken is a bit overcooked or, or something like that. But, but really, at the end of the day, she was just, just cooking with love, cooking from her heart. And she would cook whatever we, we, she felt. And she would make pastas or, you know, fresh tomatoes, sauces and whatever it may have been. But um, I guess feast was always about, dad was usually the barbecue, the charcoal, the cooking. And, and mum was always roasting something or, or baking something, of course. What lured you to a career as a chef? You wouldn't have picked it growing up. That's that's for sure. <laughs> it's just um, I I know I was inspired, or, or just I guess you know it was always you know ingrained in my head. I guess with mum and dad, um, I couldn't tell the difference between butter or oil. It just wasn't. Uh, it wasn't cooking. wasn't for me. Um, I during school uh, look. School was there. I, I, I enjoyed it for the socializing part. I, I enjoyed it with my, my friends. Um, I, I strive to do the best that I could, but um, the best subject that I could do was, was uh, home ec. And um, I didn't realize actually, I was actually, it's probably the only real um, subject that I, got, that I got like an A for uh, without re- realizing it. Or well, that, of course, and a PE for sports. Um, yeah, so what I guess what lured me was um, eventually uh, I was just trying to find something out of school um, and I, you know, I adapted a couple of little bits and pieces and, and before I knew it, I was, I was on the you know, kitchen table with some friends and I was just reading the adverts and trying to see what career path I could go down and I saw an advertisement for... Uh, uh, cooking school, uh, Adelaide TAFE, and I just put, stuck my finger on there and I said to my friends, I think I should become a chef. And they, I've never heard a silence that, lo- that long and it was just, just silence for a good solid, I reckon a good minute and then they just pissed themselves laughing. <laughs> they just could not believe that that's what I wanted to do and I told, later on I told dad that, yeah, I think I want to become a chef. And he, he, like, I guess any parent says, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll support you. I'll give you the money for it. I'll, you, I'll pay for it to help you out. And 
but you just have to promise me one thing that that you do your best and i i said to to dad yes i you know i'll give it everything i, I can take us back to those early years when you first started um, working as a chef how different was the commercial kitchen compared to that um, food background that you grew up in your fam- with in your family well um after i um de- completed my commercial certificate course i went to the radisson hotel so i went straight into i guess a five-star establishment so the level and expectation was extremely high and the difference between food in in my greek culture um you, you, everything's sort of like lamb potatoes and, and going more into a, i went into i went into a restaurant that was more um, asian inspired so we were, i was making gyozas and um japanese products and uh making souffles lemon tarts and going into the sweets and cakes sections and breakfasts and buffets and all sort of different categories and it was completely different to what I had as a uh, an, an upbringing and uh, that's what I guess I thrived and enjoyed the most was really seeing that this, there's a world out there different other than Greek, Greek cuisine. <laughs> What were the real influences uh, for you early on in your career that sort of helped pave the way for you? Um, I've, after working in in a, in a, in a group, uh, the Radisson Group, I then early on uh, travelled, and uh, I thought after a few years of of learning in, in Adelaide of, of cooking, I I put a backpack on and I, I travelled around the world. And um, I, I went to, and I just had this thirst and knowledge to learn as much as I could. I would constantly have a, a paper and pen. I would uh, write as many notes as I can, as many recipes as I could find. And, and, and I backpacked, actually still to this day, even with modern technology, I still carry a notepad and a pencil in my back pocket. It's just, I just constantly still have this thirst and knowledge. And I, and I sort of worked my way through Thailand and Germany and Spain and Greece and London and Canada and I sort of just traveled and tried to learn as much as I could through through living through a backpack and 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 understanding what's more out there do you have any um food stories um from some of your travels that you can share yeah I mean early days uh, I've traveled the world numerous times and and the early days was um I I guess just just cooking and learning um, different cuisines. I, I was, I was working and thrown into a, an, an Indian restaurant, so I was learning how to make naan breads and, and learning that style. And then I'd work in a, a Chinese sort of space, and I'd learn the Chinese cuisine. Um, I, I'd learn different styles, um, whether it be fermenting and. Uh, dehydrating and, and as a kid you just when you think oh that that sort of just blows your mind a little bit to, to I guess practice everything you've learned that you, you wouldn't in a cooking school so I would cook um, it, just really interesting different objects and proteins and rabbits and quails and it was just something that was really really fun to, to, to cook with what were the kitchens like that you worked in overseas compared to what you'd experienced in Australia um when I first started cooking working in the Radisson Hotel it it, it pathed the way to experience 
more and more um, challenges that I would have without realizing it. Uh, the Radisson Hotel, uh, the Oaks Pier that I was based in Adelaide, um, being five star set the, set my level, set the star, set the set the sort of the bar, and so I didn't know anything di else different. So when I started working in like London, for example, um, it was very challenging, but it was also I I found it easier in a way as well, um, but the com the, the the sort of the the challenge that I faced was the the more bigger teams like in in, in Adelaide we would have you know smaller brigades maybe five ten fifteen chefs um, but there I was dealing with two kitchens three kitchens or I would I was in one kitchen with forty odd chefs um, I was um, uh, learning uh, and and challenging every obstacle was thrown at me I had chefs that would yell or, or you know be violent and. Uh, you know, as as they did sort of back then, and um, but then there were some just really beautiful kitchens that I just really learnt some 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 beautiful styles. What did you take from from your travels? And you know, is there any sort of standout um, venue or location that sort of had a real big impact on you? Uh, the biggest one uh, was my my. I lived in London for numerous years. Uh, say early 2010s um, and I worked for Bills or it was Granger and Co. Um, so I, I became, um, I, I got employed as a head chef at, uh, at Bills um, and, and those three months, the first three months, what it hit me just so, so hard. It was nothing that I had ever experienced. It was, um, it was full on. It, there's no, there's no, there's no sugarcoating it. I'd start at six in the morning. I'd go right through to one, two a.m., um, and I'd do that for, for just weeks and upon weeks upon weeks. Um, in my own being, really, I, I want, I had to, I had to always be the first one there, the last one to leave to, to set an example. Um, I needed to make sure that the kitchen team, the brigade, was uh, all controlled. Um, it was it was it was it was very challenging. There's no question about it. Um, it definitely, that place had ups and downs. Um, it, it, it was certainly um, a restaurant that I have never experienced like like anything anywhere in the world before. Bill Granger um, is well known in Australia and particularly in London as well. What, what was it like? Um, did you have any interactions with him that you can share? Oh, absolutely. So as Bill and I worked closely together, um, I opened up the um, first uh, Notting Hill restaurant um, and Bill was such an inspiration. He, he just inspired me to become the chef that I am today. Um, you learn many different cuisines, many different styles throughout your years and, and your travels and you pick up a lot of bits and pieces, but he just, he just has this Aussie way. And, and when you're living abroad, especially like in London, in a, you know, a dark, miserable, sort of cold place, but really good vibes. Um, he just helped you with everything that could help you, I guess, um, succeed. And I learned from him um, throughout his restaurants and, and throughout uh, London, Notting Hill, and the pressure was, was immense there. You know, it, they would have a, you'd have a two hour lineup um, waiting just to get a seat for that restaurant. Um, it started from seven o'clock off the bat and it didn't stop till, you know, last service at 10 o'clock. So he helped me 
how find ways how I could you know help the team, um, how we can develop the menus and the food style. Um, it was just uh, everything everything possible was was you know great inspiration from him. What brought you back to South Australia? Um, eventually, I think after working abroad and working with Bills, um, by that stage, throughout the years, I probably had opened up over about 30-odd restaurants. Um, so, yeah, we're talking now, I've probably opened up about 60 restaurants like, in the last probably 20 years. I don't know how it's just happened. It just happens. It's just... I've just fallen into a restaurant and we, they want to set it up and I'm there at the opening team. And then we go and I've, you know, over the years I've opened up numerous other, you know, another team, another team. And, and then eventually it was time. I, my partner, Eleanor told me like, yeah, it might be time now to do something for yourself. I open up restaurants for other people, other chefs, other celebrities. Um, and it was maybe time to do something for myself. So we thought, all right, if, if we were to do that, she said, maybe we suggested we move back to Adelaide. Um, uh, maybe, you know, so we start a family um, and start a business. So I started a, a consulting company uh, called Billy & Co. And, and then from there, uh, again, it just, we came back to Adelaide and just snowballed again, um, just opening up more restaurants and setting up. And, and then I was just, um, I started consulting for other restaurants and working for other groups and helping their brands. But eventually then I, I started opening up my own. And, uh, and then again, that just snowballed. I, I learned from other people's mistakes. I learned from um, other people's gains. And, and from there, I just, uh, yeah, started creating a Billion Co Consulting and and then what ended up turning is I started my own uh, first restaurant, Bone Shaker, uh, which was a burger restaurant. Of all things, after working uh, working uh, from fine dining establishments to you know, Michelin establishments or to um, you, know, you know really simple cafe cuisines, I did a burger restaurant. It was my first restaurant, and um, it was more the case of the opportunity that came along. Um, I ended up building like eight bone shaker restaurants um, and uh, I even I even built three in China so I would travel backwards and forth to China and and uh, you know that has its challenges on its own but yeah it was just about um, coming back to Adelaide setting myself up and and then from there just just I guess growing brands and growing different cuisines that I um, incorporated over the years. You'd worked for other businesses and helped them open up restaurants, but was it was it different opening up your own um, venue like Bone Shaker when when it was was yours? Um, I, I guess yes and no. I mean, I treat every business that I work for like it's my own. So every dollar being spent, it's like being my dollar. Every staff member that needs to learn, I treat them like they must understand everything, and I just have this motto in my life that. Um, that it it must you know everything's very important everyone's very important everything we do must be important if i open up something for someone the music has to be important the crockery the cutlery has to match the food the food has to match the the style the aesthetics and so forth so when i opened up bone shaker for myself it was really just about incorporating everything i had learned and and putting it together, no different to, to I guess, opening up for someone else. 
you opened Billy's Table in uh, 2018. Tell us about um, the beginnings of that and finding a location. Um, well, um, well, where, where it's located, I actually had had a cafe there 10 years prior. So I had, uh, uh, I had left that restaurant. I had gone overseas. I sold my house. I sold, I got rid of everything. And that's when I moved overseas, uh, at that stage. And then eventually when I came, did a sort of 360, I came back the opportunity came along that the uh, restaurant was available <laughs> right next door to my old, to my old space, and um, you know it hasn't changed. The place hasn't changed. It's a beautiful restaurant still. Um, that's that's that exists there now, but um, uh, they've just kept it to how I, I had it <laughs> ten years ago. So the opportunity came along. I just love the street, the people around here, the local community, and the in the area sort of. Uh, uh, I once lived there before I sold my home, and the first year was rough. I thought, I, I okay, here's this chef, you know, we've you know we've opened up by that stage probably fifty odd restaurants. I had nailed it, nailed it. I you know travelled. I I'd walk into this place and you know it, it would succeed from from day one. That wasn't the case. Um, oh, look, that that year I, I probably lost at least thirty grand. It's it's it was every week was a struggle. Um, it was hard at that time. Uh, it was only a few years back, but it was it was hard at that time because it, it's it's a small community and everyone has their favourites. So you sort of stick to what you know. And here's this you know who, who's this guy coming back? Who, who's this guy coming into the, into the street and you know and having a, a finer style restaurant and and you know this is not what we want and. And and eventually, once they sort of got to know the place and they understood it, and and they uh, and they just have a little taste, just just come in and, and just try it, and just from there, just it, it just snowballed quite quite well. So the first year was was tough, but but after that, it it, it just it, it just got getting better and better and better. So, like any new restaurant, the first year is always a challenge. It's always a struggle. Um, it wasn't. Uh, it was a new brand. It, it wasn't anything that has pre-existed, so no one knew what it was. So, automatically, your first year, I believe, in any restaurant, it's always a struggle. It's 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 hard. You're, you're building new communities. You're building new clients. You're building new people. You're building new suppliers, and and it's um, it's the challenge of of any struggle for any person that opens up a new restaurant. It's it's challenging. So. You know, hopefully, most people that that do want to own a restaurant must understand that you just got to power through it, and and I did, and I knew that, and and people were saying, you know, it's like my staff are saying, you know, it's it's yeah, it's we could do this, we could do that. Okay, I appreciate that, of course, and we can, but just hold on, just hold on, just hold out, you know, and and we did, and and yeah, we, you know, we're we're almost at our fourth year there, and it's um it's a struggling very well. How did you decide on on what the offering would be, sort of in a suburban area, given the global experience that you had? Tell us a bit about um, the kitchen and the offering. The kitchen only has a wood oven. Uh, well, I only had a wood oven at that stage. <clears throat> that was it. So I would only cook from that wood oven. Um, my experience uh, in my past using charcoal and wood ovens, um, that's what I strive for that space. That's why I really enjoyed it. So. You know, uh, yeah, a few years prior, I was at Otolinghi, 
um, in Notting Hill. So I had that vision and understanding um, to to know what it was like to to have this small kitchen and to produce this really tasty food, um, seasonal. So I wanted to introduce that to Billy's table. So so I I introduced uh, probably Ellie's first. Uh, you know, modern day smorgasbord, as they like to call it. I, uh, at 12 o'clock, I would cook all the food and be ready. Um, I had a massive counter. I displayed everything and would make, wow, I'd, uh, you know, six or seven types of veggies, two or three styles of pizzas. Um, I would roast chickens, beef fillets. Um, uh, I'd make fresh quiches. And, and it was a, just a whole beautiful display, but... It was not glassed. It was open air. It was, it was, I wanted the interaction where a customer could come up, pick this, this, and this, and create their own dish. And, 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 and that was doing really well um, until I guess you realize that, hey, you know, <laughs> laws and regulations uh, uh, in South Australia state that, you know, if you want to have this, you have to have a glass perspective and, you know, put out that up and you have to have a distance and, and I, I can understand that now, you know, with COVID, I can understand the, you know, the breathing and the space and, you know, maybe this flies or anything like that. Um, I can get that. But in London, you had the perfect climate for that. So you could have everything displayed open air. You didn't need glass cloches and you didn't need to have everything covered. It was just fresh. You make it, you put it, it would sell out. That's actually how I started Billy's Table. And over time, uh, you know, as, 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 I guess they they stipulated I need to have the glass displays. I didn't want that, so I just scrapped that, and then I just cooked uh, really tasty food, um, and I just sort of created that onto the menu. Um, the menu changes monthly. Um, it's very seasonal, um, and every week I go to the markets, and, and then of course I just change that as much as I can. You mentioned earlier about your dad's love of cooking over charcoal, and you've. Um, got Billy's table with a wood-fired oven. Is, is any sort of food or memories from your childhood sort of influencing what you do there? Um, definitely like a slow-cooked lamb. So one of our signature dishes is is a slow-cooked lamb. Um, yeah, yes, it's a lamb, but when you slow-cook it overnight and you sort of just really release those really salty flavours, Dad always um, had a lamb on the spit. So I wanted to uh, obviously, you know, replicate that feeling, that f- those flavors, those tastes, and and put that into an everyday commercial kitchen. Uh, and the only way I could do that was like maybe the slow cooked sort of the lamb overnight, or at least you know for eight or ten hours, um, lower temperature, and then right at the end, just sort of a higher heat. It it it's about. Uh, cooking like even like we have this like tasty corn dish um uh, and dad would always cook corn or chestnuts um on the on the on the charcoal and they're the dishes that i i guess remember as a child and want to bring that into into the sort of my modern day life to i guess still yeah you're right i still have that connection because that you know that's what it's about these days it's the food connection and the family, the connection, and, and sort of just sort of bringing it together. So, yeah, I would put uh, uh, recently, actually last week, I put rabbit on the menu, and you know, <laughs> Dad and I would go hunting, 
uh, as a kid and, and, you know, he would shoot his rabbits. And as a kid, I'd sort of, you know, see the whole kit and caboodle. He would skin the rabbits and, you know, I'd be involved there. And, you know, even even as young as eight, I, you know, I saw him slaughter um, lamb, you know, and I, I saw the whole experience and did it scar me? Probably did now, you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm used to it. Um, you know, Easter time, we would walk, you'd walk in the back rumpus room and you just see this lamb hanging upside down, bleeding and, and, and that's, that's exactly, uh, that's him, that's him to a nutshell. So, um, yeah, I would replicate some of those dishes as a kid now into Billy's table and, and goat, um, is one of the sort of our lovely other specialties when we, when we can get it as well. The last couple of years have been um, pretty challenging. Have, have they affected your approach to, to what you do? Um, I, I think, if anything, it's made me, I like to think it's made me calm down a little bit. You know, pre-COVID, I had about 16 restaurants. Um, I probably lost about five um, through COVID time. And, you know, I, I know people will say, oh, you know, the COVID this and COVID that, but it, it can be, it, you know, it was a struggle because, you know, if there's no turnover, there's no people coming in, if everyone's locked away and if if everyone's working from home and, you know, if you've got a shop in the shopping center, people just go to you to Coles and your Woolies, just in and out. They don't want to eat their, you know, takeaway food. So, you're, you know, I probably lost a fair few, but, you know, it, it's just, it is what it is. You know, you just keep moving forward. So uh, for me, it, it made me anything, my, my phone, you know, <laughs> stopped calling as much. Um, it really calmed me down a little bit and sort of appreciate what you have. And I spend more time with the family and, you know, I, I, I it, it's been devastating for a lot of people for, with, for COVID. And so, you know, that's the negative part, but the positive out of it is that, you know, I take everything that gets thrown at me. It's nothing I can think of that's been thrown at me as a challenge that, you know, I, I, that I can't face. And I just moved on and, you know, I appreciate more time with the family and, and just sort of just, just chew a little bit more. <laughs> Billy's Tables become a real part of the community. What, what do you love about what you do? I think definitely every day is different. You know, today, today I could be, you know, as a barista making coffees and tomorrow night I could be in the kitchen cooking and, you know, the day after I'd be washing dishes. I, I'm a man that just literally does anything and everything that, that's possible. I, I enjoy, I just... I don't know. I'm just, I'm just a bit sick. I just, I just, I just that's just, that's what I come down to. I just love what I do. Um, I love that every day is different. Hospitality every day is different. Um, I love that I can create my lifestyle and, um, you know, today, you know, if I want to be cooking, I'd love to be in the kitchen cooking because that's what I, you know, that's what I love to do. Yeah. But if I want to be in the office tomorrow in the suit, in the suit on, then I'll, I'll do that. So, yeah, it's about um, it's about the the challenges of each day. It's about I love I love being at Billy's table for the local community. I just love I don't know I just love to chat to people. I love to talk. Um, I love to see how they're going and 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 how their day is and and really sort of you know I, I may be in the kitchen, but then I also come out to the front. I just love to have that both that that experience to really um i guess get out and get into the kitchen as much as i can so yeah it's about really um i just love the vibes and the challenges 
Well, Billy, it's an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Huck, appreciate everything. Thank you very much. And, and, and most of all, thank you because, um, you know, you, it was your show that I heard, you know, coming back just pre-COVID times that really, um, uh, really inspired me to understand what's out there and the people that are out there and the challenges they face. So it's people like you that, uh, that keep us all together. So thank you very much. Thanks, Billy. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.